Hello, Alan Blackman. Hello, Catherine Ryan. Professor of Chemistry, School of Science, Auckland University of Technology. I saved the punchline on why insects circle lights at night or fly straight into them. Mm-hmm. Why do they, Alan? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. And that is sort of um, something that people thought they knew the answer to um, for a long time. And uh, seemingly, no, they don't. And um, so some of the uh, explanations as to why insects circle lights at night. So uh, one of the very first was that they're just attracted to the heat of a flame. But then, of course, we can use cold light and they're still attracted to that. So that goes out the window. Um, We do know that insects definitely are attracted to light, but it's sort of the circling thing that we don't understand. And so somebody else said, right, well... Perhaps it's something to do with navigation and that they're using the moon uh, in order to fly straight. And people thought, yep, that that makes sense. But uh, when you think about it, the moon is something that doesn't move as you move along, sort of relative to you, it doesn't move. But if you're talking about uh, a, a light that is very, very close to you, then as you are moving, it is moving with you. And then what should happen then? If you're attracted to that light, you should just go spiral, spiral, spiral straight into the light source. So that obviously doesn't happen either. And so there's a bunch of workers at uh, Imperial College in London, at the University of Florida, Florida International University, and also workers in Costa Rica. And they have, this week in Nature Communications, um, posited another explanation for why insects circle lights at night. So what they did, um, really nice sort of fancy experiment here. So they took high-speed videos of insects both in London and in Costa Rica, and they analysed these in great detail. And you would have thought, you know, maybe somebody might have done this before, but seemingly not. And what they found was, very, very interestingly, many of the insects who were flying around at night literally, uh, were pointing their backs at the light source. Now, think about this for a minute. Why would you possibly want to point your back at a light source? Well, it does make sense if you're an insect because uh, light comes from above. And if you're not too good at knowing which is up and which is down, then pointing your back at the light will ensure that you are sort of flying the correct way. Indeed, that's sort of the um, the idea anyway. And this is a thing called the dorsal light response. And insects supposedly have it because they're not as good as uh, bigger things like, let's say, birds, for example, who fly or humans or whatever who've got this whole inner ear thing, you know, and we can sort of tell up from down quite easily due to essentially the effect of gravity. But Insects do not really have this uh, in such detail as we do. So um, what these uh, workers have said is that, okay, if you're keeping your back to the light source, then in order to do that, you've got to bank. Now, if you think about it like a plane, a plane banks. And when a plane banks, it starts turning, okay? If you're going to keep your back to the light source all the time and you're an insect, you are going to have to bank. And once you start banking, you start going in circular motion. And to back this up, they also noted that what happens when insects fly under a light, okay, if they've got their back to that light while they're flying under it, then they're going to start sort of doing a loop, 
and they're going to do an upward loop. And eventually what happens is, just like a plane, if they haven't got enough power, they stall. <clears throat> and if they fly over a light, again, they want to keep their back to the light. So what they do, and they've got this on film, is that they flip over... <laughs> put their back to the light and then they crash <laughs> so um this is it's now not very new... stressful <laughs> it is but this now is the new theory as to why insects circle lights at night because they have to keep their backs to the light and i think that's kind of cool well it is but it's just the misery we're creating again with pollution including light pollution in oh way, yes it? yes absolutely it is so everybody switch off your lights <laughs> at night <laughs> Rem- remember how he's comet- guilt aren't you <laughs> do you remember Halley's comet way back in 86 when mm. they turned off the lights in the cities so that we could see it and it was a big flop and nobody could see it anyway it was it was hopeless but you know that got us turning off our lights so yeah um, actually, just as an aside, if anyone can tell me what that enormous planet slash star was in the Wellington sky on Saturday night, I was, <laughs> I'm was i very short-sighted, <laughs> and all I could see was this enormous blur, I must admit. <laughs> but uh, apparently there was a very large, uh, either planet or star, mm-hmm. what's Sirius? Someone suggested it might be Sirius, but if anyone, um, as a digression, can help me, that would be good to know, because it, it seemed enormous, it was way bigger even than an Elon Musk satellite. Ooh. So, no more moths to a flame. It's kind of backs to a light, backs to the wall. Back- instead, <laughs> you think, Indeed, yes. Yeah. Now, the next thing you can help with, because yep. I am uh, aware of and um, very respectful of the contribution of Alan McDiarmid, but I've never known whether it's McDiarmid or McDiarmid, the pronunciation. I've always heard it as McDiarmid. There we go. We'll, we'll go I with that for now. If, if you listen to the people in the McDiarmid Institute, they always sort of introduce themselves as, as belonging to the McDiarmid Institute. Why so, is he particularly on your mind? Well, because he passed away today, 24 years ago, 7th of February 2007. And um, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's something that should be marked. But... I sort of was, you know, looking for something to talk about. And what I do in first-year lectures or when I go out to schools or whatever, uh, one of the slides I show has got two faces on it. One of them's Rutherford, and most students can identify Rutherford. And the other one is McDiarmid. And, uh, boy, if you get one right answer, you're doing very, very well. Nobody can recognize McDiarmid. And even when I sort of say who he is, this is Alan McDiarmid, I'm still met with blank faces. And so I just wanted to take this you know, brief opportunity on the day of his passing to just remind New Zealanders um, what an extraordinary person he was. Uh, he won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in the year 2000. Now, I always make this uh, fact, always, always say this to students and stuff. How many Nobel Prizes in Chemistry has China won? There you go, Catherine. I don't know. <laughs> Zero, okay? New Zealand has won two. We are beating China 2-0 in terms of Nobel Prizes in chemistry, which when you think about it is an utterly astonishing fact. Now, of course, China will go on and win squillions of Nobel Prizes. They just will. But at the moment, we're ahead, and that's something that we should be very, very grateful for, and it's something that we should um, celebrate the life of Alan McDiamond for. He won the Nobel Prize because he made plastics conduct and probably lots of you listening think, well, that's stupid because plastics don't conduct. That's the whole point. He made plastics that can conduct electricity. And because of that now, we have this whole field of conducting plastics. They're used in things like LEDs and solar cells and flexible displays. All of this stuff completely revolutionized, essentially, the electronic side of 
things. So um, he has an institute named after him, the McDiamond Institute, which uh, sort of, I guess, funds scientists to carry on the sort of work that he did during his lifetime. Um, and I reckon, I mean, we're looking for somebody to put on the $20 bill. I reckon we've already got Rutherford on the $100 bill, so why not have McDiamond on the $20 bill, huh? Fair enough. <laughs> People are happy to get their hands on $20 bills. They won't mind who's on them. Uh, but, no, that's, it's true. It's, uh, it's an incredible legacy. Absolutely. Now you've got a, a scam for us. This is your final story today. I've left you two minutes, Alan. Whoa, new two. Year, new Hell, us. I won't have to talk so fast. Okay, so we normally think of carnivores as being nasty, destructive things. You see them on all the nature programs. They're eating up other you know, living things and everything. You think, oh, that's that's terrible. But the dreaded herbivores are just as bad, if not worse, when it comes to uh, killing living things. And so you just need to think of something like the uh, good old elephant, which sort of romps through, destroys trees here, there and everywhere. Um, and there's all sorts of herbivores in nature that do that sort of stuff. Right. So there's a bunch of workers at the University of Sydney who've just published in Nature, Ecology and Evolution um, a new way to avoid or to protect seedlings of trees that they want to grow from being eaten by, in this case, bush wallabies. Okay. And you might think, okay, um, what could we do? We could put, let's, let's put something bad smelling around them. Okay. So what they've used in the past are things like motor oil and chili oil. And yes, that works for a time, but then, in fact, what happens is that the predators get habituated to these artificial smells, the smells that are not of their normal environment, and they sort of learn to work around that. So these folk had a really good idea and a really obvious idea when you think about it. Why don't we use the natural odours of plants, which the wallabies naturally avoid? Why don't we sort of surround our seedlings with those? Okay. Did it work? And it did. It absolutely worked beautifully. So what they used was both real, um, this, this is a citrus called Baronia pinata, wallabies avoid it, and they also used extracts from that as well. And they put these around eucalyptus seedlings. The wallabies avoided the okay. eucalyptus seedlings, but the thing was that you don't want to use the real trees because they are going to compete for resources. Alan, thank you. Ka kite.